0: Well, um, I'm going to be reviewing a few things from the beginning of chapter 1 in James, diving into the second half of that. So just quickly, let me cover a few you, few spots that were there in, in the first part of the chapter. James was taking us through how we think about and navigate trials, um, specifically these difficult seasons of our life that we tend to avoid or just suffer through. He was actually calling us to joy in the midst of those as well as not trying to navigate them all on our own, but asking God for wisdom in the middle of it. Sometimes these things are complicated, hard to get through. Asking God for wisdom. And and also this word steadfast that he dropped in there, which means that to get through these as we should, it's going to be a characteristic. We need to be steadfast and pointed in a direction for a certain amount of time to get through them. The next topic was about how we think about and navigate temptation, which is different. Then trial. Temptations are never from God. There are not these evil things that He throws in our path to try to get us to mess up. That's not who He is. That's not His character. It's our own desires, He says, that give birth to these sins that we embark on. And we know from the context of Scripture that the devil is involved in that process as well, tempting and deceiving and trying to lead us into things. And which leads us to verse sixteen, where it says, "Do not be deceived." And that deception there is centered around the perception, our our perception of God's character. He says, do not be deceived. God's not like that. God is good. He's good. Sometimes we get into situations and begin to question that. He's saying, God is good. He never changes. He is the initiator of all good things. He is the gift giver, including the gift of our salvation. These are all things that come from him. And as we look at Verses 19 and on, it continues with this theme of deception and specifically of self deception. And that's centered around our connection or disconnect between what we know and what we hear and what we actually do and getting into some lies about that. And you know what? Sometimes you can get to church and have a sermon come to you and you're like, yeah, that was, a, you know, it was fine. I think I'm doing pretty good in that area right now. I'm telling you. None of us are going to escape the second half of James this morning. So get ready for it. I could use some examples in my introduction about some times where my self-deception, you know, showed itself as the duplicitous way I was in my house. When my kids are like, you said this and you did this. And I don't want to do that because that's no fun for me. So I'm going to use soccer. Okay, I'm, going to some, I'm just going to some soccer experiences. Okay, I, I coached a... An elite team of world traveling. No, it was just some local kids. They're like nine, okay? And we were a pretty good team, but um, there's this moment at this season where I like to try to include the guys on the team that haven't scored goals. Right. There's usually everyone's I'm kind of mixing people and everyone's scored something. And um, there's a point in the season I got to last time around where these two guys hadn't scored a goal yet. So I gathered our team and said, we only have one half of this game and one more after this. We we'll want to get these guys some goals. And so I explained the whole thing. I moved them to forward positions. I, I, you know, got them all committed. No one takes shots except for these people. Right. I had them repeat it back to me and we're all on board. Yeah. OK, great. Let's go. Um, my leading scorer guy—he's a—he's a Latino kid. He was awesome. Um, he was just so talented. He, we get out there within one—one one or two minutes, the ball squirts out. He grabs. He does all his stuff. He, and he just went for it. Just went straight to the goal. Kicked a goal. Immediately forgot everything that I had said to him, just a minute or two a before that, you know. And I thought, okay, the kid—you know—the kid gets in the moment, and he's like, "It's about me right now, people. You know, I have the ball." And what's better than, win, than, what's better than winning? Of course I need to shoot this goal. And he kind of just immediately forgot everything that I had told him. And he became this, the center of the universe at that moment. And you know what? That part of his nature is also part of my nature. And it's also part of your nature. Because there's times when we suddenly we forget and everything becomes about us. And no, there's nothing more important than winning that, in that moment. And here we have a challenge for those of us who call ourselves Christians, a healthy reminder of this tendency that we have, along with an invitation to live a life that God's, by God's grace brings the truth that we know to bear on our lives, on our words and our actions, that there be no disconnect there. And if you're not a Christian, I hope this morning's message clarifies that the fact that being a follower of Jesus is so much more than a Sunday morning thing. It's not just a conceptual exercise that we're doing here this morning, but a person who saves you from yourself, who teaches you a new way to think and act and, and behave. So before I get into the first verse, let's just pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for all that it does for us every time we take time to get into your word. I pray that you would do what I cannot on my own, which is to, by your spirit, go and speak to each person. We come open, Lord, together. Open to what you might say. Open to things you want us to hear and to change. Help us to do that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 19 says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, Slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. If there was a verse that we could pick to guide us through the times that we're in right now, this would definitely be in my top three, cover to cover, right now. I'm tempted, in some ways, I was tempted to just read that verse to you, have a few minutes of quiet contemplation, and send you on your way. Because there's so much goodness built into just that. There's a lot to think about in our current environment and culture and context. But I'm not going to do that. I'm going to continue onward, okay? So the first thing I want to mention here is this phrase that he uses, my beloved brothers, my beloved brothers. What affection is communicated in that? Not correction and instruction from a distance, but from relationship. How easy it is for us to spout off and make commentary without any real concern. If you look at what's going on in this book, if you just flip through the pages and like the things he's addressing in James, there's some heavy stuff. You know, being a hypocrite, being partial to people, like allowing some filth, and there's a lot of heavy stuff he's addressing. And this is a letter to the whole church and spread out everywhere. He could have easily started this letter by saying, or this sentence by saying, Know this, you ignorant fools. Right? He could have started the sentence by saying, Know this, my misguided countrymen, right? Or know this, you whose Facebook posts make my stomach turn, right? He could have said any number of things. But he says, My beloved brothers, how different it feels when someone is having a hard conversation with us that we know loves us deeply, or at least has a fundamental value for who we are. That conversation goes totally differently. This whole letter, like I said, is filled with confrontation and correction, but confrontation without love produces bitterness or shame. Correction with love produces change and new life. And we begin to see outcomes that are different. We must Put in the time to build those relationships and lay that foundation of at least, if it's not love, then at least that fundamental value. So when things get off track and there are hard conversations that need to happen, it produces the right things. And whether you need to do that in a few minutes, you need to build that, that bridge with a stranger that you're having a conflict with. Or you need to make sure you put in that relational time with the, your family and your spouse so that when that gets to that place, you're operating out of love and value for each other. How do you do it? How do you navigate those tough conversations while, while communicating that? Thankfully, God gives us a formula here. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. I, I found a quote that I thought was really good. I want to read it. It says, but hath not nature taught us the same that the apostle here doth, by giving us two ears and those open, and but one tongue, and that hedged in with teeth and lips. I thought it was a great quote, mostly because I wanted to say the word doth. I don't get to say that very often, so I wanted to work that in. But this this approach, this sequence of things, keeps us others focused. When we can stop and we're quick to listen, right? When we do that thing, slow to speak, slow to anger. We are not putting ourselves at the forefront. We're letting them, we're we're putting them in the center. And who needs to learn this? Who needs to learn how to do this? Not just the people that we think are wrong, who should just shut their mouth and listen for once, right? No, he says, every person should be this way. Let every person be this way. That means you and that means me. And these are the right things in the right order. Don't adjust them. Listen, let them finish their thought. Ask some thoughtful questions. Offer some thoughtful words. And don't let your anger flare up or jump to conclusions. Does it say quick to hear and quick to get angry? As in, oh, I heard what you said, you know. And I'm, you know. No, no, slow to anger. Does it say quick to hear, slow to speak, and never get angry? Nope. There are definitely some things in this life that are worth getting angry about. But we have to be careful because the anger of man, it says, does not produce righteousness of God. So understanding what anger I'm talking about is important. The anger of man in this context means Well, let me say it this way. It's almost always rooted in, the anger of man is almost always rooted in defending or promoting our own agenda. That's what typically the anger of man comes from. That kind of anger produces a lot of things. The righteousness of God isn't one of them. It produces offense and bitterness, contention, division, condescension. Our culture is losing, the, maybe even has already lost the ability to have a civil dialogue because of the anger of man. The church, the body of Christ, must bring the fragrance of Christ into that environment by living these truths out, by operating with this formula from the word. We all have certain perspectives and reactions, and that's okay. But as followers of Jesus, we can't just operate out of those. This is an important reality. God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. I don't know what you perceive your personal ministry to be. Like if you have that thought like, what's my ministry? Let me just tell you clearly that you, as a follower of Jesus, if you have responded to Jesus and said, Yes, I want to follow you in my life, he has consequentially, in that exchange, given you also the ministry of reconciliation. This comes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where it says, God the Father sent Jesus to die on the cross so that we can be reconciled to God. And in so doing, he has made us ministers of that reconciliation. Whatever, wherever we go, listen, wherever we go, whatever we say and whatever we post, we are representing not only ourselves, but also Jesus. That's what that means. Listen to these other words that he said, Jesus said, you have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's in Matthew chapter five. In a society that has a lot of anger right now, in an age of information and misinformation, in a time when confrontation in person and online seems constant, and everyone is trying to figure out where everyone else is at. have You, you, you sense this dynamic, like, as you talk to people, where are you on these things, and am I offended by you or not? Everyone's in this mode. Man, may we allow in this time the Holy Spirit to penetrate our hearts and move us past the anger of man back into our ministry of reconciliation where we take the fragrance of Christ out into the world. Where we change the way we're approaching these things so that we operate according to these truths. Verse 21 says, therefore, we put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Are you finding it hard to get on top of your anger sometimes, like me? Different times where you're just the frustration and like, what? In the... Luckily, again, we find help in the word to walk us through this. Before I hit it directly, has anyone ever tried to plant something and have absolutely nothing happen as a result of you planting that thing? That's kind of my thing. I put stuff in the ground and nothing happens. (laughs) Um, If you take a healthy seed and two healthy seeds and you plant one in the wrong environment and you plant the other one in the correct environment, two very different things happen, right? My wife is a great gardener. Um, She... She's got all this knowledge she's built up. She loves to do it. It's like her happy place, right? Hands in the dirt. And uh and and at this point, lots of people um call her or come over and ask her questions and and get advice about gardening. And I hear all kinds of conversations, and it's crazy. Like, you know, she's into organic gardening, so like, oh, you can use this plant next to this plant and this thing in the soil and change the chemistry, and it'll deal with these, but like it just goes on and on and on. And I'm like, great. You know one conversation I was overhearing she was talking about the phases of the moon in the context of gardening and I kind of leaned down and I said "Hun uh, are we on the same page about witchcraft you know like you know yeah no she's she's not she's just anyway it's, I think that in the same way if we receive the implanted word of god and we don't have the right environment in our souls it won't grow We have to receive with meekness the implanted word. And if we look at this verse here, step one is to identify and acknowledge any areas where you have allowed filthiness and wickedness in your life. Just to take an assessment and identify and acknowledge parts of you that have taken in some of that stuff from the world. We must avoid the trap of publicly defending the truth and godly values while privately participating in all the nasty stuff that this world has to offer. In that place, we may be mentally or culturally or scripturally even knowing the right thing to say, but we're not connected to God like we should be. And therefore, our passion quickly turns into the anger of man because it becomes about us and defending our agenda again. We're carrying the truth and the arguments, but none of the grace or the heart for people that Jesus has. We've become pharisaical. And Step two, so first one is just identifying and acknowledging any areas that you've allowed things in your life. The environment of your soul is not what it should be. And the second thing here is to, is to get back to the place with meekness with God. The place of meekness with God. What is meekness? We know it's important because Jesus says in Matthew 5, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. I would love to inherit the earth. Anyone else? It's quite an inheritance. So it's important to know what meekness is. The Greek word used here is proutus, which connotates a total lack of self-pride to the point of a lack of self-concern. Like, I'm thinking less and less about myself. I'm less and less concerned about me. Another word that's used sometimes is a word called, it says, praus, which is expressed as decided strength of disciplined calmness. Strength under control. So when you come to God with this meekness, you can receive the implanted word. How did Jesus let insults from people Beings he created fly right on by without him missing a beat. Sometimes without any reaction at all. How did he do that? How did he stay on track in the midst of racial and religious tensions and Roman government occupation? How did he know how to control and direct his godly anger? Because he did have anger. There was a time where he sat in the corner of the temple making a whip, right? How did he know how to do that? He emptied himself of self-will, meekness, and became consumed by the Father's will. He said, I only do what the Father tells me to do. Certain times, certain people would tra- draw him in, into these discussions or debates and contentious things. And sometimes he would just, <clears throat> excuse me, he would just breeze on by and not go in. Other times, God would give him something very specific to say that turned the whole thing on its head. Sometimes people said things to him that he should have been angry about, and he wasn't. Other times, man, people were surprised how angry how angry he was. How did he do that? He set. A pattern and an example for us of what it means to receive the implanted word with meekness. In getting things cleaned out of our lives and getting back to that place of humility before God brings a transformation to the way we respond to other people. The phrase or the question, what can I say to get through to this imbecile? Becomes something else. It becomes this. What does God want to do in this moment? And how can I participate in that? It totally changes the way we come to these conversations and conflicts. Here's the key, though. We have to receive the word and let it transform us, but not end there. Verse 22 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Mirrors are clarifying, aren't they? This morning, when I got up and got into the bathroom and looked in the mirror, it was like, whoa, okay, we've got some some work to do before we get out of here, right? Here's some advice. If you go into your, your bathroom and you're standing next to your spouse who's looking in the mirror, never say, whoa, you've got some work to do. Okay, don't do that. But the Word of God is like that, right? When you look into it, you get a status, you get a sense of things, and you think oftentimes, "Whoa, I got some, I got some work to do." And sometimes when I'm up here speaking, I see, I see this body language, or, you know, this like, like which means, "Boy, you got some work to do," you know, that sort of thing. Don't do that either. Receive the implanted word, but these, you know, immediately forgetting, it says. Immediately forgetting. It's like that nine-year-old right in the huddle in that soccer game. Jumps up, immediately forgot it all. Overtaken by his own natural tendencies and his natural habits, natural mindsets. Boom, gone. Back into what he was, how he usually acts. Or that moment when you get in your car after church and the, the door clicks shut and the scan goes through and erases from your memory of the sermon. You ever experienced that? You're like, you can't remember it all? <laughs> I do that for things that sometimes I speak, you know? People say, hey, it was, that was a good sermon. Oh, what was it about? Oh, it was, uh, well, uh, well, there was a story about a soccer game, I think. You know, that's basically what, it, what happens sometimes. But we have a tendency to forget. And on a more serious note, it's those times when God speaks to us. When the Holy Spirit brings conviction to and we can clearly see what he wants us to do. Do you ever have those moments in church or in your own devotional time? There's this moment you're like, you heard from God and he spoke to you. And there's, you're clear on what he wants you to do. But we never do it. Our focus gets pulled to other things, other priorities. The thing that God, God asked us to do is superseded by, you know, what our kid asked us to do or what our boss asked us to do or what our friend asked us to go do, all these other things. All of a sudden, we don't, we immediately forget. And I'm so thankful for the patience that God has for me because sometimes he'll come back to me weeks later and say, hey, uh, remember that thing we talked about? (laughs) Oh, yes, I do remember that now. Thank you. And and there's times, man, where, where years later, God's still bringing something back to me and say, we're still on track, right? Remember that thing we were... He's so patient as we walk through and learn and grow and try to change and adapt to what he's asking us to do. But I tell you what, let's not test the limits of that patience. And let us be careful of deceiving ourselves into believing that just going to church and looking in the mirror for a few minutes is enough. That God's goal somehow is just our increased knowledge and insight so that we're well equipped with all the thoughts and ideas, philosophies, and theologies to respond to any Facebook post. Or just to have something to say, some deep thing to say to your friend who's also a Christian over coffee. That's not God's goal. His his goal is not to build us up into these wonderful... There's this idea in in the military of actionable intelligence, so in the intelligence world, there's always a flow of information, thing inputs and things coming in, coming through, right? And some of it is just noise. And then there's these nuggets of things that come in that are actionable intelligence, that have clear details and opportunities to operate against. And you move and you make decisions. I tell you what, listen, the Word of God is always actionable intelligence. It's never something just to, to, to tuck away for a rainy day. It's something that God wants you to implement and move forward in and do, whether it's in you and your family or in people around you. It says if we look into his word and persevere in it, that's where the blessing starts to really come. Encouragement and conviction and hope and freedom, all the things that God does in our life, that's not just for you. That is for other people that he also wants to reach through you. This world doesn't need more platitudes. People on Twitter are just saying, thoughts and prayers. Ugh, well, yes, I'm glad you're thinking about it. Yes, we know that prayer is effective, powerful and effective. But we need more than that. We need to act. We need to move. Do something. Be the hands and feet of Jesus in this world for those who are hurting who are lost who are oppressed who are disenfranchised whatever it might be is that going to hurt to do that yeah is it going to take time and money yeah is it going to are you going to make mistakes in that process absolutely you will that's what perseverance is about That's where the blessing begins to really hit your life. Verse 26 says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Christian, your religion which is based on a personal relationship with Jesus, who died on the cross for your sins, is so valuable. It's so valuable. And if we look at the price that was paid for it, which was the very life of Jesus, it is priceless. Can I get an amen? I asked for an amen. Come on. No can do. Here we go, I like it. That was prearranged. Your religion is priceless. Don't cheapen it by deceiving yourself into believing that what this world needs right now is for you in your anger to run off at the mouth or at the keyboard. just like that nine-year-old in the soccer field. Spend time hearing and receiving the word of God. From, hear from the coach. You got to do that. You got to look in the mirror for a while every day and, and hear and understand what he's saying to you. And when you leave the huddle, whether that's here at church or at your house or whatever, don't forget the word spoken to you. Don't just go jump up and immediately revert into all the normal ways that you behave and act and think and talk. Because out there in the field, you're marching to different orders. And those orders may seem counterintuitive in certain moments. Because the goal is not necessarily just to win in that moment. Win that argument or whatever it might be. Orders that will require meekness and perseverance quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Remember that you're not out there just representing yourself, but the coach who puts you in position, the one who gave you the very breath that's in your lungs, the very ability to do the things that you do. You're representing him. We are his hands, his feet. We are his ambassadors with the ministry of reconciliation. May God by his grace break through and break down our self-deception, our deception that it's okay to enjoy the study and discussion of God's word without allowing those truths to govern our words in every private discussion and public comment. Deceiving ourselves that we can that we can call ourselves followers of Christ and still allow the filthiness and rampant wickedness around us to stain the purity that Jesus paid so dearly for, the deception that other people, other people, some other people will do the hard, difficult, costly work of entering in to the world of those who are afflicted. When we hear Jesus call and respond, not with just words but with action. We will suffer. But the word says that we're going to have fellowship with Jesus in our suffering that we didn't have before. We're going to have something special with him because he also suffered. And I want to know the fellowship of the power of of sharing his sufferings, but also the power of his resurrection, which will also come. And as you do this, as we step out and cross the chasm, we're going to see the power of God bring the word of liberty, the freedom to people around us through you and I. And I want to live that kind of life. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and, and for James and the things you he wrote here. God, I thank you for your patience with us as we seek you, as we learn to live and to love and to do the things you've called us to do. I do pray that you would confront us all individually about maybe some of the self-deception that we're caught in. Begin to break those things down and bring us back to that place of meekness. Jesus, help us to be like you, to be less and less concerned with ourselves and our own agenda, our own point, and more and more concerned about what God is doing in this moment with this person and how we can participate in that. And again, God, we need your grace. We need your help. This is hard. Help us to be your representatives here in this time. In Jesus' name, amen.